إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستهديه ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا محمدا عبده ورسوله ونبيه وصفيه وحبيبه بلغ الرسالة وأدى الأمانة ونصح للأمة وجاهد في سبيل الله حتى أتاه اليقين وتركان على المحجة البيضاء ليلها كنهارها لا يزيغ عنها إلا هالك فاللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد في الأولين وصل وسلم على سيدنا محمد في الآخرين وصل وسلم على سيدنا محمد في الملأ الأعلى إلى يوم الدين وصل وسلم على سيدنا محمد في كل وقت وحين وعلى آله الأطهار وعلى أصحابه الأخيار وعلى أتباعه الأبرار إلى يوم الدين يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون يا أيها الناس اتقوا ربكم الذي خلقكم من نفس واحدة وخلق منها زوجها وبث منهما رجالا كثيرا ونساء واتقوا الله الذي تساءلون به والأرحام إن الله كان عليكم رقيبا يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم أعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما وبعد فإن أصدق الحديث كتاب الله وإن خير الهدي هدي سيدنا ومولانا رسول الله وإن شر الأمور لمحدثاتها فكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار Many people asked about music so I want to speak a little bit today about music and how Islam views music. This is just a, a sketch, you know, there's a lot of detail. And one of the problems with the modern Muslim mind is, you know, we want quick answers. Now, what does Islam say about this? What does Islam say about that? Haram, halal, halal, haram, you know, quick. But most issues, they need an introduction. So this is an introduction, you know, to this, to this topic. How did Muslims our forefathers, our foremothers, how did the Salaf look and understand music? Music, Islamically, was always understood as a function of mathematics. So the study of music was understood as a sub-subject under mathematics. And even in medieval Europe, there were two core teachings, two core curricula. The first was called the trivium, the three subjects that people studied, which was logic, uh, grammar, logic, and rhetoric. And then the quadrivium, <clears throat> the four subjects, were considered mathematical subjects, arithmetic, geometry, astronomy, and music. And of course, they took all of this from the Muslims. So this was in medieval Europe. This is when they started realizing they were falling behind. So they, they took these subjects and this category of learning from the Muslims. So music was understood from the time of Pythagoras all the way on time to the time of the Salaf as a function of music, as a function of math. Because when the ulama looked at music, they saw that music was nothing but different combinations 
of ratios of sounds. So the story, for example, of Al-Khalil ibn Ahmad, rahimahullah, who was one of the Salaf, he died in the year 174, if I'm not mistaken. He is the one that, that started to write about the different maqamat, the different modes of reciting Arabic poetry. And the story is that he was walking home one day and he was walking through the marketplace and he heard all of these sounds in the marketplace. By the way, this is the same story of Pythagoras, so maybe there's some overlap. But he heard the hammers and he heard the water dripping. And when he went home, he's like, all of those, those are ratios. Those are mathematical ratios. The ratios between sound, sound and silence, sound and silence. So he started to articulate this understanding, which we study until today, the different maqamat, the different modes of how sound is expressed. So the study of music, which is itself understood from the study of mathematics, was always understood Islamically of how sound is expressed. It was all to service the spoken word or the sung word in this case. So all of these poems that we have in Arabic, they're not, they're not like recited. They're not recited the way you recite Shakespeare. But they were sung. So when you read these poems, they have to be balanced in a certain meter, in a certain meter of how the, the line of poetry sounds. And then therefore, if you recite it with a certain tone and inflection, with these ratios, you get something that's beautiful. And the point of this study was not only to make the recitation of the poetry, and then by extension the recitation of the Qur'an itself, was not only to make that recitation uh, sound good, but it was also to convey a certain emotion. So some of the maqams, some of the, the modes of, of music in Islam are happy. Some of them are sad. Some of them talk about loss, convey loss. Some of them talk, so for example, the mu'adhin, as he gives the adhan for the fajr, he will recite the adhan in a mode that, that's like the beginning, that's like uplifting because it's the beginning of the day. But then when that same mu'adhin will give the adhan for maghrib or isha, you know, it will be sort of, it, we're winding down the end of the day. So when you come to the verses of Jannah, you're going to use a mode that expresses paradise. But when you have a verse that talks about the punishment of the hellfire, may Allah protect us from it, inshaAllah, you'll have a mode of expression of sound that reflects that. Right? This is what the salaf were, were busy with. Huh? Keep that in mind. That this is all I'm saying, this is the salaf. This is in the first three, four centuries of Islam. This is the kind of things that they were talking about. And then we have somebody like Al-Farabi, the great Islamic philosopher, who wrote Kitab al-Musiq al-Kabir, the big book of music. So over a thousand pages of talking about how music is constructed, the mathematical ratio between the notes and silence, the type of instruments that can project these notes. So that's the thing is that the instruments that the Muslims invented, and they were, you know the oud, all these are all Muslim inventions, the instruments that were invented in the classical period of Islam were instruments, tools used to express these different modes so you can hear how they sound. So for example, you find many of the huffad of the Qur'an, many people that recite the Qur'an, they also play the hood. Why? Because they want to learn how this maqam is supposed to sound. So when I come to recite these verses, I can recite them in a way that sounds appropriate for what Allah Ta'ala is intending. So even if you don't understand the words, 
that emotion is conveyed. So the ulama understood that music was nothing other than articulating what we hear in nature. Why some sounds sound pleasant and why some sounds maybe don't sound pleasant. Why when we have somebody that recites the Quran or recites poetry or sings, we enjoy it and why we don't necessarily enjoy it. In other words, that this was something that was natural, as natural as one plus one equals two, as natural as the square root of nine is three. So they also found that there is a ratio between the notes. Now, I'm not musically inclined, uh, and obviously the khutbah is not appropriate to sing, but you know, I, I, and I, that's my excuse, but I can't really demonstrate other than to say, for example, you have you know, one uh, connection of sounds, 10, 10, 10, but then you can add to that, ta ta ten, ta ta ten, ta ta ten, and then you can combine them, ta ta ten, ten, ta ta ten, ten, so on and so forth. And that's how the ulama, that's how the Salaf understood music. So much so that Western European took that as part of their core understanding. Now, what does the Sharia say about music and musical instruments? You know, because maybe you don't really care, that sounds all fancy, but you know, what does the Quran and the Sunnah say about this topic? Because that might be interesting in all of that, but we read all of these hadith, you know, you can go on YouTube and you can find uh, you know, a plethora of people yelling and screaming about this is haram and so on and so forth. And that's what I think the, the takeaway for us is, is how is that understood by the people that looked at the Quran and the Sunnah and also understood the things that I'm, that I'm talking about. So there are two principles that you have to understand before we understand what these hadith mean. The first principle, Imam al-Nawawi rahimahullah, he said when we have hadith that talk about the signs of Yawm al-Qiyamah, you know, there are many hadith that talk about what will happen, what we call in the science of theology of Aqidah, as samayat things that we hear from the Prophet that we believe in, we haven't seen them or we haven't seen all of them, but we know there are signs and after we die we will see them, etc. All of those hadith, Imam al we said, when the Prophet gives us a sign of Yawm al-Qiyamah, there is no relationship between the Sharia ruling and that sign. So for example, the hadith of uh, Jibreel that we all know about one of the signs of Yawm al-Qiyamah is that people will compete to build skyscrapers. So what is, is it haram then to build a skyscraper? It's not haram. It, that's not, you don't glean that from the hadith, but rather the Prophet was saying, by the way, this is a sign that when you see this, know that the hour is near. That's one principle. <coughs> the second principle is that when there's a list of things in the Quran, in the Sunnah, they don't all take the same ruling. Al iqtiran laysat bihujjah. That when things are mentioned back to back, it's not a proof that the ruling is the same. Allah Ta'ala says, إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَأْمُرْ بِالْأَحْسَانِ وَإِتَاءِ ذِي الْقُرْبَةِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَأْمُرْ بِالْعَدْلِ وَالْأَحْسَانِ وَإِتَاءِ ذِي الْقُرْبَةِ Allah commands and commands here. إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَأْمُرْ Allah commands justice. Justice is wajib. We have to have that. And إِحْسَان. Okay, إِحْسَان is not wajib, but it's something that we, we aim for. وَإِتَاءِ ذِي الْقُرْبَةِ And keeping your family ties. You know, that's something that's not wajib, but it's something that's permissible. So even in this verse, Allah Ta'ala lists three things. They don't all take the same ruling. So these two principles of interpretation, now this is the difference between knowledge 
and people yelling, you know, online. So we want to understand, based on our principles of interpretation, how do we understand these verses? So we go back to our question and say, what does Islam say about music, musical instruments, etc.? So the ulama, like Ibn Hazm, for example, he says the hadith that we find in Bukhari, no one disputes these hadith. The Prophet said, one of the signs of Yom Al-Qiyamah is that people will approach uh, pl plentiful in a plentiful way and will engage in zina, you know, fornication, silk, uh, singing, and musical instruments. This hadith is the hadith of Bukhari. So Ibn Hazm said, yeah, this is this Allah, uh, the Prophet is describing the overall scene. When you find a scene like that, that's what's haram. But individually, the, the silk women are able to use silk. And some of the Hanafis argued that men could use silk, but that's not the dominant position. The dominant position is that men don't use silk and silver, it's only for women. So right away, you know from that hadith, well, what does that mean? Well, uh, zina, we know that's haram by consensus. But how about silk? So therefore, by extension, how about music and how about musical instruments? So Ibn Hazm, for example, rahimahullah, he argued that the Prophet ﷺ is talking about that scene. What we say today is the scene. Like if I go out clubbing or something like that. That scene, that's bad. Stay away from that. And when people do that, and they do that a lot, and they do that, and it's normal, and they do that, and they, they call it by different names, this is what the Prophet ﷺ is saying is a sign of Yom Al-Qiyamah. Now you can't take that hadith, and then go to somebody you know, who's, who's playing a melody in praise of the Prophet وسلم, you know, or talking about the Qur'an, or talking about love of God, or, or encouraging the troops as troops are going into war and into battle, and say that that's haram. There's the two, two completely opposite things. So this is the difference between people who know and people who don't know, meaning that when we approach the Qur'an and the Sunnah, we want to understand these things in their context. So Ibn Hazm was just one, but people like Imam al-Ghazali, we've heard of him, right? Imam al-Ghazali is a guy we can trust. He said the same thing. But then there are others that no one's heard of. And that's part of the problem. Like Abdul Ghani Nabulsi, you know, the great Syrian scholar who's buried in Damascus. You know, Hanafi Mujtahid. He wrote a whole book about music and musical instruments. Al-Qaisarani, who himself was a Hadith scholar, who wrote a book, Kitab al-Sama'a, a book about music. Now, are these people that we hear all the time? We probably, probably never, this is the first time you ever hear these names. And that's one of the problems. The problem is that we have to look at what the Salaf, what our forefathers and former, what they were engaged with. You know, they were engaged in building a civilization. How do you have a civilization without music? You know, how do you have a, civil, a civilization without the arts? Sheikh al Islam Hassan al Attar, who was Sheikh al Azhar in the first uh, half of the 19th century, he said, if you, uh, if you hear a melody and see a beautiful scene and do not see in that is beauty, then you're, you have the life of a donkey. Because in Arabic, it all, in Ashjar, Himar, it all rhymes. But his idea was, this is so basic. How could you hear something? How could you hear uh, Bach's cello's, uh, cello music or Beethoven's Ninth Symphony and not say, SubhanAllah? That's what he's saying in our language. How could you hear that and not be floored? That's unbelievable. How could you hear Mozart and not see that hear that that's genius? Because it goes back to the understanding of where music comes from, that it is these ratios of sounds. Just like the eye appreciates the calligraphy and the proportions of the writing, which we've said in previous talks, is also a function of mathematics. Ibn al-Muqla, he 
the, the saying is that Ibn al-Mukhla was inspired with the art of calligraphy the way that the bee was inspired with the honeycomb. So Ibn Mukhla, when he saw it, he said the Arabic script must be written in a certain proportion to bring out the beauty of the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It was to service the Qur'an. The art of calligraphy, this is where it comes from. How can you see that and not appreciate beauty? Likewise, how could you not hear a beautiful song or a beautiful melody and not be moved by it? We are moved by it all the time. And you are surrounded by music all the time. You know, if you're in public spaces, you're in an elevator, you're waiting on the phone, you're on the plane, you're on the train, you're in the car. So we can't act like, you know, oh, astaghfirullah, you know, this is, that, that type of thinking is sick. It's not going to get us anywhere. Look at Al-Farabi, he lived in the fourth century of Islam. And he was talking about notes and musical instruments. You know, technically, this is the period of the Salaf, the first five hundred five centuries of Islam. Imam al-Ghazali, who we call Hujjah, every Muslim is like, you know, Imam al-Ghazali is our hero. If only we had Imam al-Ghazali again. Like, if only we had Salah al-Din again. We say those things, but look at what those people did. So the sum total of their understanding is that music, musical instruments, the whole thing, hasanuhu hasan wa qabihuhu qabih. The good of it is good and the bad of it is bad. Meaning if we have music, lyrics, songs that encourage, that motivate, that draw us nearer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's good. And if we have the same that does something else, then it's haram. Just like if you read a story or you read a poem and if that poem made you, you know what, I'm going to go do something haram. Yeah, I read that poem. Then don't read that poem. It's not good for you. But maybe you read the same poem and it's written by, you know, somebody else. It's written by Whitman or Keats or something like that. And you're like, Allah, this is unbelievable. I can't believe, look how he expressed it. And you fall in love with that, that phrase. Good, that's good for your iman. Right, this is al-hikmatul-dallatul-mu'min. Wisdom is the lost property of the believer, the Prophet How about Sayyidina Muhammad and music? We know that the Prophet he loved the good sound. When Abdullah bin Zayd radiallahu anhu dreamt of the adhan, he said, teach it to Bilal because he has a better voice. Even though Sayyidina Bilal radiallahu anhu uh, could not pronounce all of the words correctly because he was originally not an Arab, but the Prophet said that his voice trumps that. Teach the adhan to Bilal because he has a beautiful voice. The hadith of Abu Musa al-Ash'ari, the Prophet he heard him reading Quran, he's like, you have been given something, your voice is like the Psalms of David. Al-Mazamir, your voice is so beautiful, it's like prophetic. The Prophet is saying this to Abu Musa al-Ash'ari. He's reciting the same Quran that we recite, but he appreciated the good voice. The hadith of the day of Bu'ath, the day in which the Medina Muslims celebrated their victory of a, of a battle that took place in the Jahiliyyah. There was music and singing and dancing in the mosque of the Prophet And the Prophet partook in that. And then over almost 300 Sahaba sang praises of the Prophet in the presence of the Prophet Like Hassan ibn Thabit. And when Hassan ibn Thabit would rhyme, you know, he was like the poet laureate of Medina. When he would rhyme, the Prophet said, continue the spirit of uh, that the spirit which Allah has created is going to guide you and protect you. That's a big endorsement. 
by the way, if the Prophet ﷺ says that to you, then that's going to encourage you to do more. Right? And when Ka'b ibn Zuhair, he came and he had wronged the Prophet ﷺ and he came for his tawbah, he came to the mosque and he began his poem, Banat Su'ad. He, Banat, this has nothing to do with the poem, this is like an intro. That I had a woman named Su'ad and she left me, so now my heart is sad. The beginning of the poem, and Ghazal we call it in Arabic, the Prophet ﷺ was so impressed, so happy that he took off of his cloak, his cloak, and he gave it to him. And this poem, when we study it today, is called Qasidatul Burda. This is the original Qasidatul Burda. We are not talking about the Salaf, we are talking about Sayyidina Muhammad. He appreciated the beautiful voice. The Sahaba sang in the mosque. You know, singing in the mosque is a sunnah. There's no exaggeration, it's a sunnah. Singing praises of Allah and praises of the Prophet in the mosque is a sunnah. This is what happened in the mosque with the Prophet Right, so this is what the Qur'an and the sunnah tell us about these things. So in the age in which we live in, in the environment in which we live in, we need to remember this argument of what, what, the place that music has. Because we need this revival of the lost arts that we had in our community. We need this for ourselves and we need this for our children. It can't just be always lessons and you know, the sheikh reading the Qur'an and studying you know, the, the rulings of wudu. You're going to get too tired of that stuff. In our classes, when we would have like a public class on the weekend in Al-Azhar, there would be munshidin, you know, people that do inshad, they would come to the mosque and they would sing. And that was sort of our you know, break from you know, learning all of the dry stuff. And all that did is encourage us to want to learn more. And we would remember all of these stories. Remember the stories of the Sahaba. Remember the stories of the Prophet <clears throat> Remember the importance of the arts, the importance of the beautiful voice, the importance of beauty itself in Islam. Allahu yuhibbu jamal. Allah is beauty and He loves beauty. So how can you see beauty and not appreciate it? Then therefore you are rejecting something that Allah Ta'ala has created. Just a sketch, something for us to think and reflect on. أقول قولي هذا واستغفر الله لي ولكم فاستغفروه إنه هو الغفور الرحيم. اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا ومولانا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم. <clears throat> so the, the, the upshot of the music discussion is that one sentence. حَسَنَهُ حَسَنُ وَقَبِيحُهُ قَبِيحُ The good of it is halal and the bad of it is haram. Same thing for poetry, same thing for all the arts. This is the perspective of the ulama towards the arts in general, specifically in our discussion, music. We talked about the hadith uh, that, of course, we accept that no one rejects these hadith. And we talked about how these hadith need to be interpreted with these two rules. The first rule is that the signs of Yawm Al-Qiyamah do not necessarily take a certain ruling of the Sharia, but rather the Prophet is telling us when this happens, this is a sign. And the second perspective is that when things are listed in the hadith or in the Quran, they don't necessarily take all of the same rulings. <clears throat> and in the hadith, therefore, using these principles of interpretation, these hadith that talk about the proliferation of music and musical instruments, the Prophet ﷺ is talking about that scene. When that scene is bad, then that's what's haram. And that we have a use for it in our tradition, inshallah. Before the dua, a few announcements. 
We're praying for the safe return of Brother Muhammad, Uthman Ahmed. He's been missing for some time. We're also praying for Hanif Sultan who passed away. He is the brother of Brother Arif who's part of the ICCP community. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to have mercy on those who have passed Amen. and to heal those who are sick inshallah. Uh, my class tonight will be at 7.30, that's normal. And there'll be no halaqa on Sunday. And there's a college application workshop, two to five on Sunday, October the 6th. So Sunday, October the 6th, two to five, uh, college uh, application workshop uh, for those interested in Shalva. That being said, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this final moment of Jummah prayer, we ask him with our hearts turned to him, may he forgive us our sins insha'Allah, may he over, help us overcome our shortcomings. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless us and to bless our families. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us deep, insightful knowledge of his book and of the sunnah of the Prophet We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us people of beauty, to make our homes homes of beauty, to make our masajid masajid of beauty, and to make our relationships relationships of beauty. We ask, us, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to resurrect us with those who are beautiful and those who are kind and merciful. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to increase our faith and make it grow. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for his mercy on those who have passed before us. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless our parents, to protect our children, to protect our mosque, and to help our businesses flourish. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala all of this, and we know He is able. اللهم انقلنا من دائرة سخطك إلى دائرة رضاك وافتح علينا فتوح العارفين بك واحشرنا تحت لواء نبيك صلى الله عليه وسلم يوم القيامة اللهم اسقنا من يده الشريفة شربة ماء لا نظمأ بعدها أبدا ثم أدخلنا الجنة بغير حساب ولا سابقة عقاب ولا عتاب ومتعنا بالنظر إلى وجهك الكريم في جنات الخلد يا رحيم اللهم ارحم حينا وميتنا وحاضرنا وغائبنا وارفع أيدي الأمم عنا وأقمنا بالحق وأقم الحق بنا وآخر دعوانا أن الحمد لله رب العالمين وصل اللهم على سيدنا ومولانا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم وأقم الصلاة إن الصلاة كانت على المؤمنين كتابا موجودا